Welcome to the Guide Sessions, a podcast where we talk about stories of adventure as told by the guides who experience them. I'm your host, Jim Aiken. Welcome to the show. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Jim Aiken. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your support. If you like what you hear, feel free to rate and subscribe. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about tags and applications. Most dates' applications uh, have already kind of opened and closed. There's some that are still open. Uh, however, if you happen to not draw a tag, there's still options out there. Okay, You can contact me at the Guide Sessions Consultant. You can come through the website, theguidesessions.com, or you can look me right up on Instagram at the Guide Sessions. Uh, shoot me a message. Be like, hey, I'm looking to do a hunt somewhere, and I'll help you figure it out. I've got some outfitters that I'm working with in different states, even Africa, even some up in Canada. So I'm pretty sure I can find you a place to hunt, uh, even with overcounter elk, you know, a, a cow tag. I can get you hooked up with an outfitter if you want to go get some elk meat. All right, there's opportunities out there if you don't if you don't get a tag, go get experience, go get reps. If you've never hunted elk, there's nothing wrong with hunting a cow because you're in the elk woods. So that actually, when you finally get that opportunity to draw that bull tag of wherever you're drawing or wherever you're applying, you're going to have experience and reps in the elk woods. You're going to see how they act. You're going to see how they move. You're going to be in that environment that they're in. So you're going to learn how to prepare yourself for that moment that maybe perhaps a once in a lifetime tag that you've been waiting 15, 20 years for. So if you've never been on a trip or something like that, there's opportunities there. So reach out, contact me. I'd love to help you out. Also, don't forget about the Guide Sessions Media Services, where we offer a wide variety of photography and videography services. So you could be an outfitter looking for pictures and photos, um, videos for your website, or even a small business, and you're trying to improve website and improve content, things for social media, reach out. I'd love to help you. Again, you can go to the website at theguidesessions.com or... Look me up on Instagram at The Guide Sessions. Hey guys, as you're probably aware, most of my life evolves around the outdoors, whether it be guiding hunts or filming content or just hunting and fishing for myself. For a while now, I have actually struggled with my weight. I was hauling around about 40 plus pounds that I didn't need, and it was really starting to become a burden to me physically, both in the woods as well in the gym. If you have been following me on social media, you will have noticed that I have actually found a nutrition program that has not only perfectly fit my hectic schedule of not only my daily job, but all the work I do outside of that in the hunting industry. It also has got me healthy, got that weight off, and it did it really quickly. I'm really excited about it and would love to share more information with you, but I don't want to delay this podcast any further. So if you'd like to learn more, shoot me a message or an email. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning into this episode. Hope everyone's summer is off to a great start. I actually took my girls up to Lamoka Lake up in New York for Father's Day weekend. We had some good rest and relaxation. We wanted to do some fishing. However, it rained the first day, and on the second day, the rain was replaced with wind. So it was not the best time on the boat as we we're just getting blown around wherever the wind wanted to take us, despite 
the troll motor fighting as, as hard as it could. But anyway, regardless, we still had fun and we still made some memories. So success 100% in my mind for the win. Bear season has wrapped up and I've seen some giants hit the ground on social media. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. One of these years, I'm going to head north of the border and I'm going to chase me some black bears up there in Canada. Not quite sure where I'm going to go. I have some contacts, but I don't know. It's looking more and more enticing every year. But I also know right now the South African hunting seasons have kicked off and people are, are starting to take some great animals there as well. We've got 4th of July coming up here just in a few days. I wonder how many people are actually going to be taking Monday off or calling in sick. I know I'm not. I'm working Monday because I'm saving my time off for hunting season, So, which is only a couple months away, and it's never early, never too early to start scouting, so get out there if you got time. Anyway, speaking of South Africa, in this episode, that is where we're going. We're going back across the ocean, and we're talking with Steve Schwartz of Nkwazi Safaris in South Africa. Steve jumped into guiding early on because that's where his passion lies. He's also an avid archery hunter, and he loves to talk about bows. So throughout his years, he has gained the knowledge and experience to provide a very entertaining adventure for all his clients. He has a diehard attitude that I could say is pretty similar to a lot of the African game he hunts. So, because I don't know of too many people who would chase down a giraffe on a pair of crutches. So, shout out to him on that one. But anyway, in this episode, we discuss filming hunts, bows versus guns, the importance of quality broadheads and quality bullets, staying calm in the shot, hunting kudu with a bow, and it's hard not to talk about hunting South Africa and not talk about some charges from Cape Buffalo. We have all this and much more. This is a great conversation. It's Steve Schwartz talking with me on the Guide Sessions podcast. All right, we are live, and today on the show, we have a man of many talents. One of them happens to be guiding. He's a professional hunter. It's Steve Schwartz of Ngazi Safaris coming to us all the way from South Africa. Steve, welcome to the show. Oh, Jim, thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, looking forward, and thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on, doing a little bit of research and stuff on uh, your social media there. As I said, you're a man of many talents. I mean, you you got video stuff going. You got, um, are you into like motorbikes or something? Or is, is that like a hobby or is that stuff that you just film? Nah, that's that's just a, it's a hobby of mine. And, you know, and Quasi Safaris is, is the one business myself and my dad have got that together. Mm-hmm. He started it back in the late 90s. Okay. So the company has been going for about 22, 23 years now. Um, and obviously over the years, you know, you grow and all of that. And, um, yeah, I opened my own basically kind of media company where I specialize in outdoor action sports, videography, and editing. Um, funnily enough, with the industry that we're in with the hunting, we get a lot of um, other outfitters in the country that have clients coming over that want their hunts filmed. So, you know, I tag along with them, film the hunt for them, edit it afterwards. And then, yeah, the the motorbikes and the motocross, that's just a hobby to, to break away from everything else, you know, when we're in town and we've got the opportunity to. Yeah, just is that's your fun time. That's your time. You can just kind of break yeah, away and just it, be yourself. Yeah, yeah that's and awesome. Then, yeah, we've also got I've got my own hunting channel as well. You know, that's where I'm all cover my own kind of personal stuff and just air that out. It's it's 
grown pretty nicely over the years, which is cool. So yeah, it's just an extra. And I mean, I suppose at the end of the day, when you've got everything more or less in the same industry, they kind of tend to intertwine into each other and you know they, they feed off each other, which is quite cool. Yeah, I definitely checked out some of your your YouTube videos and your hunts. I mean, that, that's a uh, you got some pretty cool adventures you got going on there for sure. Yeah, we 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 lucky and fortunate to be able to. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of people that would, you know, kill to be in our shoes and to be able to do what we do. So, you know, we just uh, we remain thankful we're able to do what we do. So. Yeah. Well, before we yeah. dig into everything that you do, why don't uh, why don't you kind of back us up a little bit in time and tell us. A little bit more about yourself and how you actually got into the guiding. I mean, I guess if your dad started the business, you kind of were just kind of thrown into it by choice, or or or. You I wouldn't just... say thrown. I would have said more. I jumped into it myself. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Actually, it got to a stage when I was in high school, eleventh um, grade. So the year before twelfth grade, and I mean, I was, you know, making excuses to get out and go hunting alongside clients with my dad and stuff before I was qualified. Um, to the stage where. The principal called my parents in and said to them, well, does your son want to get him a matric or finish school or does he want to go hunting? So unfortunately, we have to have something behind our names at the end of the day. So, yeah, there was two years where I wasn't really able to join much. But after that, just uh, made a point of being involved as I could. Um, the the hunting for me, kind of, I was born into a hunting family. My dad's hunted probably since he was about 16 years old. Okay. And... Yeah, he, he got into into hunting professionally and opened the business. And, you know, I kind of, I fed off it. You know, I really enjoy it. I've got a, a huge passion for the job. There's uh, one thing they say about guiding. Um, there's other areas you could get into where you'd make a lot more money. But at the end of the day, it's all about passion you know, and what you love doing. They say if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. That's right. Yes. Yes, I agree with that so much. But uh, but that's awesome. So I'm going to ask a couple of selfish questions here just because we're, we're, we're both in the video before we get into the hunting and stuff like that. Uh, cool. As far as your filming stuff, what cameras and stuff are you running for your hunts? Um, I run a, a, Canon X, a, Canon, excuse me, a Canon XA30 okay. um, with microphones and stuff on. helps with the sound quality with that. And then um, I've got a drone. I've got a DJI. And then I use GoPros and stuff as well. And I'm in the process of looking into a, I think it's a Canon D500. Okay. Um, was that on? But it's one of those, one of the higher end cameras that you can use for still in video as well. Just uh, tend to find that the frame rate's a little bit better on, on, on some of those those other cameras. I mean, not to say that the XA30 is bad, but um, you kind of tend to pull up, you kind of tend to pick up a vapor trail of like a bullet for instance mm -hmm. better on some of those cameras than what you would on an xa30 but a canon xa30 if you're if you're um, what do you call it your frame rates right and the iso and everything set up correctly you pick up a pretty good pretty good view of a uh, vapor trail from a bullet you know that's just using as an example mm -hmm. because i mean not sure your average handy handy cam handheld camera you know the small the smaller cameras they don't have the ability to pick that kind of stuff up so um, I've also learned over the years you know, pay school fees, you get a camera and you think it's amazing, actually doesn't end up being that great. And then you, you know, back to the drawing board. Right. Um, cause at the end of the day, I mean, your content, your content's as good as the camera you use. Right? The better your camera, the better your content's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's just, 
I mean, there's nothing wrong because, like, even with like today's cell phones, I, I, people ask me all the time, like, what camera should I get or what camera should I use? And I'm like, do whatever makes you comfortable. I mean, if you if you can afford and pay for uh, a big camera that's real expensive, then do it. But if you can't, other ones that's work. It. It's just all about creating the content that you want. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, the stuff that you're watching that you're probably trying to emulate that is really clear, really crisp. They're paying, you know, six, seven thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars a yeah. body. You know, well, yeah. you know, that's because that's their business, you know. Yeah. And uh, but, yeah, there's I always encourage anybody if they want to film something, just <clears throat> grab a cell phone. Use what you got. Yeah. Use yeah. what you got. <clears throat> Funny man. enough. Yeah. Sorry, man. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. Just a little frog in my throat there. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but cool. Funny you mentioned. Funny, funny enough, you mentioned that um, for the first time last year, actually, I went uh, out by myself to do a to do a bow hunt. And it was actually my first bow hunt out of a out of a tree stand, funny enough. And I've been bow hunting for about thirteen or fourteen years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have you don't have good real estate in a tree stand. You'll know as a hunter, no. you <laughs> have much to work with in a tree stand. So, you know, I was, I was very very um, strapped for choice, if that's the correct word. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't get my XA30 out in there, and I've got a little handy cam, but you don't have a tripod to put it on. So there was a branch there. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? I don't want to do this hunt if I can't film it kind of thing. You know, it's, it's, it's makes the memories. So I literally took out my cell phone and had like a little spider clip mount that I connected onto the tree. And I video recorded that whole hunt off my cell phone. And I mean, if you look at that hunt compared to some of my other hunts that I filmed on an XA30, you won't, you don't know, you know, unless you were actually there, you know, I mean, and the quality of the cameras these days on the cell phones is amazing. So there's like you say there's always opportunity to film i mean obviously it comes down to budget and what you can afford but everyone's got a cell phone in their pocket that's got a decent camera so mm-hmm. you know if you've got nothing else start off with that something yeah i mean it, and it's just starting and getting practice and getting reps because i i'm sure like you've done the same thing like you'll you'll look at footage that you've done years ago and you're like man that was horrible <laughs> you know, yeah like... <laughs> all the time all the time <laughs> actually funnily enough on a lot of edited videos too that i watched like Damn, what were you thinking, man? <laughs> right. But like at the time yeah. you thought, like, man, this is awesome. This is so cool. And then like down the road, you're yeah. like, man, this is not. <laughs> but yeah. it, it's all yeah. about growing I'm... and learning and practicing. That's it. Yeah. So so cool. Um so I guess we'll uh, that'll kind of end my selfish story, I guess. Because I always like talking cameras. But this, this podcast isn't about camera work, but uh Thanks for thanks for appeasing me and let me be selfish for a minute. Um, no worries. The overall, like, I mean, if you guys have been, you said what, 20, 23 years? About 22, 23 years now, yeah. So we, I think it was established in nineteen ninety eight or nineteen ninety nine. Okay. And yeah, my dad obviously, like I said, started it in the beginning, and then as soon as I was able to, I got involved. Cool. So how much like how much land do you guys have? Do you guys one big area or like a bunch of different areas or how does that work for you? So some of the outfitters in the country have their own properties. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the outfitters don't. We don't have our own property. Okay. But we use of about at any given time we've got at least six to eight areas um, where we offer the opportunity to hunt on. We only do fair chase and we very we're, we're very strong about our ethics when it comes to when it comes to the job. 
I mean, at the end of the day, we're killing an animal, but it's also about having a really amazing experience and something that you can be proud of. So, you know, we tend to only practice um, spot and stalk methods. Um, and when it comes to bow hunting, depending on the client's or the hunter's capability, you know, he can spot and stalk. Otherwise, we make use of other pop-up blinds, uh, permanent ground blinds, um, our tree stand elevated blinds. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so with your your spot and stalk, I mean, you mentioned archery. Is a lot of your clients archery hunters, or do you get a mix? Because some people seem like... We've got a mix. Yeah, some people yeah, seem when they, when they go to South Africa, they're like, I don't know if I should bring a bow or not, just because the animals seem to be so tough out there. If I could tell you something, and your art, if your outfitter offers both rifle and bow hunting, bring your bow with anyway. If the opportunity arises and you have the opportunity, I reckon I say it to everyone. You know, I get it. I get it a couple of times a year at least, where you know guys from the states will be coming out to hunt with us and be like, "Well, I'm rifle hunting, but do you guys offer the chance to to bow hunt as well?" And most of our areas offer both. There's the currently one or two that don't, but at the same time, you know, we have bow hunted those concessions, even though they don't offer them we still have pop-up lines and stuff that we take with that we'll put at a water point on a game trail, much like you guys do with Whitetail. Mm-hmm. And we'll put a trail camera up and see what comes in. And I mean, if, if, if there's something on the, of the, the hunter's wish list that he'd like uh, coming into the trail camera and the blind and it, and it seems pretty relaxed, then by all means, we'll put him in a blind um, to see if he can get his animal. Boiling um, down to walk and stalk with uh, with with archery equipment, like I said, that all boils down to the hunter's capability. You know, with obviously needing to get much closer. So 90% of the time where your hunt with a rifle will end, that's where your bow stop. Right. So you're a big bow hunter from watching your videos yeah. and stuff like that. So can you break down your bow? I mean, Break down like in terms of like what what poundage are you pulling, your sights, arrows, broadheads, all that kind of stuff. Sure. So I'm currently using a the Hoyt RX4, carbon RX4. Okay. I think it was the twenty nineteen model of that of that bow. Um I use and then also um I fluctuate my poundage depending on the hunt. So I mean you obviously you can't crank your poundage up and down while you're on a hunt. Obviously, your arrows are going to fly in a different place with speed and all of that. But mm-hmm. um, planes game, when it, when I'm hunting planes game, usually it'll boil down to I standardize on, on a heavier arrow than rather a lighter. You know, our animals here have got seriously, most of the animals here have thick skin and got heavy dense bone. Um, so I standardize on like a 520, 530 grand arrow for planes game. Um, and then I'm usually pulling about 75 pounds. So ordinarily I'll be shooting 75 pounds year round. And then if a, if a bigger hunt comes up, for example, like a buffalo or giraffe or something really big, then we'll up the poundage to say 80. And if we have to, I'll turn the cables a bit to get maybe 82. I've got a 28 inch draw. So I battle to get, you know, good speed and good energy out of a bow. But the, the weights with that 80 pound option make a big difference. And they can seem to, uh, hold energy and be very efficient so you get good speed out of them um, but then that being said I'll go up to about 80 83 pounds and then I'll go up to a 780 grain error 785 grain error and you know 
every time we've tested those weights or those really heavy weights, you're obviously shooting a lot slower, but your momentum is a lot higher. So it takes your arrow a lot longer to stop. So we shot a, I did a buffalo cow hunt towards the end of 2021. And I shot her at about 30. So to put it into yards, about 40 yards, uh, just, just, just off broadside. And I got a pass through and we picked the arrow up about 20 meters behind us using a iron wheel. Oh, uh, I think okay. the the single bevel 200 gram. Okay. Um, and yeah, I got a complete pass through on that. Giraffe that I've I've shot in the past with a bow. Also, you get full penetration and exit. Not necessarily always a complete pass through, but that's all about depending on the bone that you hit. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, going back to 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 arrow weight and poundage, I, I spoke to I spoke to you before this about us maybe bringing it up, and I feel. You know, when, when guys from the States specifically are coming to South Africa to hunt and bow hunt, you know, these guys could have a big quarry. They could be off the Cape Buffalo. They could be off the Elan, Kuru, Blue Vildebeers. We call Blue Vildebeers the poor man's buffalo. Okay. Because if you hit that animal wrong, we'll show you the whole property. <laughs> He'll show you your whole hunting area. And the chances of you finding him, depending on the, if it's a flesh wound, the chances of you finding him are slim, you know, so... And that boils down to guys just not using correct arrow weight for for the for the scope of game we got here. And if there's anything I could say to anyone planning to come out to South Africa to hunt, if you're doing planes game, I'd say I, w- I would personally say don't go under 450 grand arrow, and that's being generous. Um, when it comes to dangerous game, like they say with Cape Buffalo, you need a there's the minimum requirement legally to hunt buffalo is you've got to have a 90 pound bow and it's got to be an arrow of this weight and you've got to be achieving that at the end of the day with the technology that we've got now you know you can you can achieve and and attain the same energy out of a 70 pound bow now with a medium cam versus an aggressive cam that you were getting off aggressive 90 pound 12 to 15 years ago you know Mm -hmm. so we like to standardize and we say to the guys before they come out if they're going to be buying some buffalo to to as long as you can achieve a kinetic energy or 80 kinetic foot pounds of energy on a 750 grain error, you'll be all right. Um, so when it comes to the minimums and legal wise, as long as your arrow is giving you that efficiency and those energies and the minimum kinetic energy and the minimum requirements for that momentum, um, I personally don't feel that poundage has a factor. As long as you're achieving those energies out of your arrow, that's what you want and that's what matters. Yeah, I mean, so like I said, it's the science of it all, but about momentum, where yeah. it, it's carrying through the animal and not just getting there fast. Yeah, that's it. And I mean, you can you can relate it to a dump truck and a car hitting, hitting a huge concrete cinder block, both at 60 kilometers an hour. Um, What's going to stop quicker? The car's going to hit harder. It's going to damage the car more. And the car's maybe going to travel two meters with a cinder block. Whereas you take that dump truck of five times the weight of that car at the same speed, it'll probably push it 10 times the length and it'll do less damage to the truck. So the heavier your arrow, the stronger your arrow, um, it, it works together, you know. But that being said, you also get to a stage where you start going backwards. And that's when you want to find your optimum, your optimum energy of what your bow is capable of, you know, prior to coming out on the hunt and all of that. So, yeah. And then with rifles, I mean, I'll be going a little bit of bounty here, but just on setup, you know, some of the guys, they'll come out with a seven mil rim mag and they want to shoot broad spectrum. 
you know, when I say broad spectrum, I'm going from like Warthog and Impala up to Eland and Kudu, you know, and mm-hmm. bigger animals like that. A seven mil can do it, but if and, and don't don't I know there's like some guys out there. I, I have a seven mil and I love that rifle, but you know, at the end of the day, there, there's a tool for every job, and guys coming out to shoot a broad spectrum um, bag in South Africa, I'd say try standardize on something like a. A 308, a 30 odd six, 300 win mag, mm-hmm. 338 win mag. I mean, we we we, we only use really the magnum calibers. We've got seven more rim mags, 300 ultra mags, 338 ultra mags. Mm-hmm. You know, the the bigger, harder hitting calibers. Um, and and another thing on that is is good bullet quality and good optics. You know, I mean, your rifle's only as good as the bullet you're throwing at. And, you know, you, your optics. Are only as good, you know. You need good optics. You need good bullets. That to me are the most, the two most paramount things when it comes to comes to setup. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more because like, I I've had this conversation with a lot of people, even with elk hunting, that yeah. people are like, well, what what caliber should I use? I'm like, you don't ask me what caliber you should use. You should ask me what bullet should I use because yeah, bullet weight is bullet weight and bullet quality is huge. Yeah, because you can there with the technology, different bullets out there, they do so many different things. And, yeah. you know, there's no reason why if you're going to go, if you want to go spend, you know, high price item on a rifle and then buy the cheapest ammo out there, it just doesn't make any sense where there's cheap ammo. Yeah. Well, it, will it, you know, reach the animal and might kill it, might not, but to have confidence in what you're actually going to shoot and actually what's going to do the actual killing is what you really want to focus your money on. That's it. That's it. It's it's a it's a big thing. We've had we've had guys. You know the uh, I think it's an SST. I can't think if it's Hornady or yeah, I think Hornady SST. That sounds it. right. Yeah, it's got the little red tip on it. Mm-hmm. Now those are amazing bullets. I mean, if I shoot three shots at say 250 yards with my seven mil, I can get sub one inch. And then I'll take I shoot bonds uh, to TSXs when I hunt with a rifle. Um, so if you take that Barnes tip TSX of that seven mil with very much similar load, the bullet doesn't fly in the same place, obviously, mm-hmm. and your groupings aren't as tight. Now, at the end of the day, just because your groupings aren't as tight, for instance, sub one inch, as long as you're in a, say, four inch by four inch block, you're in the dead zone. Mm-hmm. You know? So to me, with, my, with hunting rounds, I mean, as long as you can work on like a, a four by four inch box, and you're putting those bullets there, say 100, 200 yards, whatever. You 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 clean and clear. But that being said, would you would you rather take a, a less superior bullet? And I'm not taking away from the SST, but it's not bonded, so mm-hmm. the bullet breaks up on impact. And you know, it's it it groups great. But if I pull a shot, and I mean you and myself, and as as any hunter listening to this will know, you know. When you're aiming at that piece of paper, you you're as calm you're as calm as could be. Mm-hmm. When there's when there's an animal on the other side of that scope, I mean you'll know the nerves go. You start shaking, the adrenaline starts pumping, and I mean if it's if it's a if it's a difficult or tricky shot, and 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 to add to that a, a rushed shot, you know because in South Africa we we're not often when you're rifle hunting you're not you're not sitting in a blind or or sitting at the top of a hill where you can see it all the time. We get situations almost let's say 95% of the time where when that we get the hunter up onto the sticks and 
on the rifle, you've got you've got seconds to take that opportunity. Otherwise, the animal walks out of your opportunity, and you've got to carry on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when it boils down to seconds, and you you could pull your shot, and I mean, you all, we all know that you've got to take your time when you shoot. You can't snatch your shot because that's when you end up wounding or missing. So, there's often a often a chance where you might pull your shot slightly, and you maybe hit on the point of a shoulder versus broadside, and you hit a heavy bone with a with a let's say and i'm going to use this term for going forward in the podcast of a bonded bullet um versus just a, a jacketed lead mm-hmm. lead bullet um because when that when that bonded bullet hits it doesn't break up it, it holds it holds its um what's the correct word it just holds its shape it holds, holds it, it, yeah, yeah it just holds its shape and shapes the correct word and it holds mm-hmm. itself together and it doesn't break up when it hits heavy bone which ordinarily and immediately gives you more penetration and you've got a you've got a better chance of breaking bone and getting to where you need to get with the bullet. Um, so you know, we we've always standardized on on bonds and uh, swift swift Scirocco, swift A frame, uh, Hornady into bonds. Any bonded bullet um, that flies well out of the rifle, that's that's what we that's what we go to. Do you do you recommend like say if you have a three hundred eight, which is a common caliber, right? So like what what kind of grain would you recommend? I think you, you get different. You get a one eighty grain. Yeah. Uh, Ordinarily, there's so many different types, but in in South Africa, we obviously we don't have the volume and, and um, the amount of different uh, grain heads, you know, as easily available as you guys do. But we've standardized, say, on on, your, on a seven six two, which is your thirty caliber three hundred eight, three hundred six, three hundred. We we tend to go on a one eighty grain um, for most animals, but that as well is because of the the bullet quality that we use. Okay. Um, otherwise, depending. We've had guys come out and they use, the, I think it's a 220 grain, uh, which is a heavier bullet. You're obviously going to be flying slower, so your bullet drop over distance might fluctuate. But that also depends on the area hunting. If you're hunting bushveld, thick bushveld up north in South Africa, I'd say to go with a 220 grain because you've got a bigger chance of hitting you know, a twig that you don't see downrange, and it does happen. Mm-hmm. People say make sure of your shot. You can make as sure of your shot as you want, but... If your animal's standing 200 yards away, you can't see a little twig sticking out that your bullet might clip at, say, 140 yards. Right. You know, there's, there's, there's factors that we can't control. But at the same time, if you've got a heavy bullet and a good quality bullet, it's going to steer it a lot less, of course, than what a lighter bullet or, or less superior quality bullet would, would give you, you know? Yeah. And then going down to, like, really long shot shooting where you go down to the Northern Cape and, and things like that and the Free State, um, that's different, just different what we call provinces in our country. So obviously, um, your terrain differs from area to area. So when you get to like long shot country, then we'd say use a slightly lighter bullet, not too light. Um, you know, say up to, I'm going to say meters now, but up to 300 meters, your, your lighter bullet will do fantastically well and you're going to get a lot less drop. But when you go from 300 to 500, you get a lot more drop because it loses momentum. Mm-hmm. There's not as much weight pushing forward, and your bullets can tumble. And it doesn't happen often, and it hasn't happened to us. I have heard of stories of of guys in the field having those issues, but yeah, you know, as long as you've got a a really good quality bullet, you should be okay. And as long as your your rifle's zeroed, what we what we like to do, and we work in meters and metric here in South Africa, so. What we'll typically do on the range is most of our ranges here on the on the areas that we use are about 100 meters. Some of them go further, 
but on a hundred meter range, we'll we'll always set a hunter's rifle up one inch up at a hundred. Okay. So that if you do shoot two hundred, you know you don't have you aim. We like to say aim on hair, not air. Okay. So yeah. on the animal versus off the animal, you can't always do that when you get to extreme long shots. Mm-hmm. But typically, um, we'll set in an inch up at a hundred, so that if you're under a hundred and you aim for the heart, you're not going to hit above the heart and the lungs. You're still going to get a double lung, which is going to put your animal down just as fast. And if you're shooting at 200, you can aim same type midway up the shoulder versus on the top of the back, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Now, these are, vast, these are vast drops that I'm talking about, but it's just to give an idea. You know, we could go into the fine-tuner things and, and the, the, the more fine-tuning part of it, but we'd be here until midnight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so yeah. many little intricates. Um, yeah, it's so it, to kind of stay on this stuff in terms of the things that actually killed the animal, like your arrows and your bullets, what about shot placement? Like does your shot placement change between using archery gear or versus a rifle? Or are you still kind of aiming in the same place? On a quartering on shot? Yeah. Um, pretty much. What we say to, I mean, our, our heart and our lungs sit further forward in our, in our animals. Here in South right. Africa. So, like you guys typically with an elk or whitetail or a muley or something, you'll aim, say, about two inches behind the shoulder, mm-hmm. it will take, yeah. um, to hit the heart properly. Whereas in South Africa, what we say is you go up the front leg and what, as soon as you, you, so it's in line with the front leg, one third of the way up the shoulder. That's where your heart sits. Okay. So... And then people would say, like, but what if you hit the shoulder bone with the arrow? If your arrow weight is correct, you will punch through. That's why I always say to the guys, you know, and everyone says, oh, behind the shoulder and shoot behind the shoulder. Um, you're going to hit double lung and liver, you know, most likely. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I'm talking about a broadside now. You know, if we've got a, a, a slight quartering away or a quartering away shot, um, bow or rifle, uh, the heart works as a pendulum. The heart's a pendulum between the front legs. So if your animal is facing, quartering onto you, one third of the way up in between the front legs. So not like behind the leg or in front of the leg. So you've got to run an imaginary line with your crosshair up Mm. between the front legs. And then as soon as you meet where those two legs end and go into the body. So as long as you're putting your bullet between those two front legs, you're going to hit heart or or double up. Mm and then, you know, when you get to a quartering on front, or I've done it, I've tested it a couple of times, but I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest doing it if you're not 100% confident in your capability and your equipment. Mm-hmm. Because the slightest mistake on a quartering on shot with a bow, you've got problems because you're not going to get penetration. Like if you hit a joint um, on an animal, let's even say with, with, with an arrow setup like what I'm using, if I take a 40-yard shot at... Uh, let's say an impala, for instance, which is your closest to your whitetail, you know, your most popular mm-hmm. in South Africa. If I took a quartering on shot at 40 yards and I hit that joint, my arrow's not going to penetrate the weapon sketch because you've lost energy. Out of the blind, at say 20, 25 yards, if you've got an arrow over 450 grains, punch it, go for it because you'll get through there. Okay. Um, and I mean, I had, a, I had a guy from the States hunting with us last year um, and he hadn't, I mean, I was guiding, so it wasn't through our outfit. I just went to the system and he, he was shooting 375 grain arrows. You know, he's, he's shooting Warthog and Parley. He wants to shoot all the business stuff like that. 
And we had a we had a 35 yard shot um, on a really really nice big warthog, perfectly broadside. Everything was absolutely perfect out of a permanent ground blind. He had no idea we were there. And he said to me, "Should I smoke him?" And I said, "When you're ready, take him." And he hit him perfectly halfway up the halfway up the shoulder, middle of the shoulder. He got about one and a half inches of penetration. Oh wow! The pig ran for, and we never got the animal. You know, mm-hmm. whereas. If he had been using, say, a 420 grain, even a 400 grain arrow, you know, just that extra little bit. And I think he maybe hit the base of the scapula, which just stops that dead. And then that also, you know, we can get into another kettle of fish now. It's using mechanicals versus fixed blades. Okay, that was and that was going to go mechanical. there. Yeah, that was a mechanical. So if it was a fixed blade, would it have penetrated through? Maybe if it was a, a very small fixed, like, you know, like your, your, your slick trick standard. Mm-hmm. Um, with a very small cutting diameter, I think it's like one and one sixteenth inch cutting diameter, which is small, but at the same time good for when you're penetrating through big bone, because you've got less drag stopping your arrow through the movement. And you know, I believe that fixed blades and mechanicals do have their place, and always will. Uh, when it comes to to convenience of hunting, you know, if, if you're out there and you haven't done much boardage, and you slap a mechanical on there and you're ready to go. Um, and if you hit where you need to hit with a mechanical, you'll get to where you need to go. But if there's, if there's a big bone or, or you hit, let's say for instance, on an extreme quartering away shot with a, with a mechanical, you end up cutting ribs and it pushes your arrow off target, you know, and, and you can end up getting a flesh wound leads up to longer follow-ups, longer recoveries and that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, but I've, I used to swear by mechanicals for everything that I hunted, you know, besides dangerous game mm-hmm. um i've shot blue volibeast with mechanicals and i've paid big school fees i've <laughs> lost about three or four blue volibeast with with mechanicals um one of them was actually a three-day follower we, we found him three days later oh wow and he was still charging like he hadn't even been hit and you know when we got up to the animal i'd seen we had a hit again and funnily enough it was on christmas day that we shot it and we, we only got it on the morning of the 28th of december mm. And when we got to him, um, he was fine. I hit, I hit his scapula. My, my broadhead stopped on his scapula when we slaughtered him afterwards. And about a year later, I took another shot on a blue volibeast, also with a bow, but I was using a slip trick, viper trick, um, 100 grain. Okay. And on the exact same shaft, exact same setup, but it was a fixed blade, I got a pass through and I went right through his shoulder blade. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? So at the same, you know, a mechanical is going to give you a better blood trail, but a fixed blade is going to give you better penetration. And you know, it, if you if you get, I'd rather it go through the works and we we battle to find it a bit more. But at least when we get to him, he's going to be dead. Right. Versus yeah, he's not going to know, come charging at the animal with a big blood trail, and you know he's not down yet. You know, and you end up he maybe even he'll hear you or see you before you even get there, and he's gone. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly playing, and can be up for a day, two days, even three days, where you're playing cat and mouse. Hoping for the best, you know. When you get these opportunities, you, you know you don't want to you don't want to lose the opportunity. So, fixed blades, I would I'd prefer go with a fixed blade ordinarily. If I'm hunting out of a blind, I'll always have. Do you mind just giving me a sec here? Hey, go can your basket. It's my dog. Um, so, um, sorry, I lost track now. Um, yeah, and you get that with a fixed blade, and I prefer it, and. Like I said, sorry, I've got my track back now. I'll always put two two fixed blades on my quiver in a blind. Okay. Um, 
and I'll always have two two fixed blades to use mechanicals. And then when I'm in the field, I've always got a mechanical on my quiver if I'm spotting stalk behind Um I prefer to to say to the guys and for myself as well when you're doing spot and stalk bow hunting to to have fixed blades because if you catch a, a blade of grass your mechanical is going to deploy and where's and probably throw it off course whereas your fixed blade you're going to cut it it's, it's still going to throw you off course but not nearly as badly because mm. if that blade pops out then that that does other things to your accuracy accuracy and oh yeah yeah but the fixed blade doesn't move yeah so as far as say coming down to that moment when, when say like your hunters are are shooting, whether they're using a bow or, or or a gun, is there anything that you do to help them calm them in that moment because things happen so fast? Is there anything that that you've seen or, or like because your your heart's racing, their heart is racing. Yeah. What works best uh, for you? Um, it's difficult to say. Um, you know, it all it all boils down to the scenario. Mm-hmm. But to to speak off the top of my head, all I say to the guys is just concentrate on your breathing. You know, keep calm, concentrate on your breathing. And, and most of all, when I hear that safety click off, I say it to every single one of our hunters. I always have and I always will. As soon as I hear that safety catch go off, I say to them, squeeze your shot, take your time. You know, and then, you know, nine times out of ten, you know, the shot rings, the guys are I didn't expect the shot to go off. I said, but were you squeezing where you're on where you're on your mark? He said, Yeah, I was. I said, Well then we'll be good. <laughs> and like I said, nine times out of ten, you get to your animal and he's like, Holy crap, I hit exactly where I was aiming. He said, But I was moving so much. And you know, we, we don't often in South Africa, we don't often get a, a chance for a dead rest. You know, we, like I said to you earlier on, we hunt off shooting sticks. Mm-hmm. So you've always got movement. You know, you, you're very lucky if, if you can get up to a tree in time to get a really dead rest on a tree, which is great, but it doesn't always happen. Right. So it's, it's more just keeping them as calm as possible. And then I get it often where they're like, I'm still moving. I said, well, is it a lot? He's like, no, a little bit. Then I say to him, just keep, your, just keep concentrating on that area that you're aiming at and squeeze your shot. You'll always get a little bit of movement in your scope when you're aiming. If mm-hmm. you're not on a dead rest. But as long as you keep concentrating on that spot and squeezing your shot, your your bullet will hit its mark. Yeah, I mean that that's so true, even like with archery, because like nobody can hold dead still. Yeah. You know? Rifle and bow. Yeah, rifle exactly and bow. No, no, so as long yeah. as you're focusing on keeping your aim, you know, your body's yeah. gonna do the rest. And as long as you're you're yeah. squeezing and going slow, things things will release, things will explode, and yeah. you're gonna and hit your mark. Not to forget breathing. Yeah. Yeah, breathing's yeah. huge. I mean, that, that's yeah. a, I used to hold my breath a lot when I was shooting a rifle, and and when, after I learned, no, that, I did it too back in the day. Yeah, and it, just breathe, just breathe. You just keep going south and going south and going south, and you're like, damn, why can't I do this? I, mean, mm-hmm. I had it on a on a trip when I was. We're going back a long time now, about 20 years ago. I was, I was still a youngster hunting with my old man, mm-hmm. and I must have missed in one day. I must have missed about eight shots at eight different spinbacks. <laughs> That's because of snatching my sh- not following the process of going through to when the shot goes off. And I mean, he took me back to the range and he's like, the wheels are coming off. You just need to keep calm. And I said, I am. He said, let's go to the range. We took a couple of shots. Rifle's dead on. Everything's dead on. It boils down to the operator at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, breathing's really important. And there's, there's so much to remember in those, those seconds that matter most. And 
you know, only only experience can teach you those things and, uh, and time in the field. So, yeah, paramount things, I think the two most important things is to breathe and just concentrate on squeezing that trigger. And when the shot goes off, it should be a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Um, as far as we're going to jump into some more hunts here, if you don't mind. For you personally, what is your favorite animal to hunt? And then also, what is your favorite animal to guide and why? Favorite animal to guide, hands down, tape buffalo. Really? Because of the danger. The danger? And what can yeah. And I mean, some people, any any hunter will be able to relate to us, but people that don't hunt, they'll be like, why on earth would you do something stupid enough? That, well, that's stupid to go and to go and play with your life and throw it up and down in your hands like a tennis ball. You know, it boils down to, and, and a big thing for me is you, it's, it's a very mentally tiring species to, to hunt. You know, I mean, you're going in there, we, we've had it, every buffalo is different. And that, that's what makes it so exciting. You'll get a bull that's, that's been on that far, on, on this area, you know, since, since he was born. And there'll be another one with exactly the same scenario, but you don't know their temperament. And I've noticed typically on buffalo, Buffalo will let you close in three or four times. And, you know, like I say, I can't tell you three or four times. We've had it where we've moved in on a buffalo. Uh, I think on a second, the second time we followed up on him. And he bust out. He ran about 50 meters to the side. And he stood and he looked at us. He's like, come at me. Mm. Like, I'm, now, I'm now not how, in the mood. Now, when you say you're moving in like that, like how close are you getting? Um, we are... It, it varies. It all depends on how thick the how thick the the brush is. Mm-hmm. We were we were hunting with the sure you know trees and camera. The president of trees and last year we took him on a buffalo hunt and we we were on foot and we put in hard miles for about five days before we got a shot opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know we'd we'd come on to buff and it it was so thick at that stage of the year in the area we were hunting up north where we came on we came onto a bull by himself. And as we walked around the corner, he must have been 16 yards from us behind some brush, you know, and he didn't run away. He had a very calm temperament. Mm-hmm. He just slowly like ambled off into the brush like, and wasn't worried about us. So we, you typically wait because Buffalo's got a short temper, short fuse. If you, if you bug him too much, he's going to come for you. Okay. And so we'll give him about five, 10 minutes to move off and, you know, calm down and stuff. And then, then we'll get back on the tracks. So we got back on the tracks for about five minutes and, and not five minutes later, the tracker stopped dead. And he was like, he was saying to us, it's right here, it's right here. So we came around the corner around this, around this, around this, what we call a raisin bush. So you see that bull standing probably 15 yards for us behind another raisin bush, like standing off full front looking at us like you're in my area now. All right. And he stopped dead and we, we, we got him, we, we got the hunter on the sticks, we got Mark on the sticks. And we said to him, just don't shoot yet. He's like, I can't see him properly. And I was like, we can't see him properly either. But all you can kind of see is a silhouette. You see a bit of his ears, a bit of his horns. But, you know, when you know what you're looking for, you can tell what he's doing. You can see how he's standing. Mm-hmm. And about five seconds felt like about two minutes. <laughs> yeah. And he he turned around like at an abrupt speed and he just started charging through the bush away from us. Oh, okay. And that's when we said to when we said to him like listen let's uh let this bull go for the day um just telling over time with experience you learn to to tell it to an animal's temperament and you can almost 
see them in it, see their energy in the way that they're acting. Mm-hmm. Um, if an animal like that rushes off calmly, we'll let him go and follow up. If, if he rushes off like that, it's starting, you, you're starting to, to get on his nerves. And I mean, we've had a, another scenario, my dad escaped by flag actually two years ago. Um, we stalked in and we got to, my dad shot him at 18 meters, which is about 16 yards. Had no idea that we were there. That first bullet hit him and he said to me, as I shoot, you shoot. You know, now ordinarily I don't like to do that, but if, if someone asks or the scenario calls for it, mm-hmm. uh, I'll do it. Um, so as my dad shot, I shot, that buffalo came into the road and he came at us full tilt. And you can't wow. see great on the video because there's brush in between, but at about, we measured it out to 10 meters. I'm not sure what you'd, what that, what you'd relate that into yards, mm-hmm. but my dad's second shot broke. So his first shot broke the, the left shoulder his second shot broke the right shoulder and dropped him where he bossed up and he went into the sand. And then by then I was able to move out and I could see he was still trying to get up again. And then we shot him again and then, you know, finished it off with the last reassurance shot. And I mean, that buff, that was the first time we'd come up on him. We had no idea that we were there. Um, we hadn't been pushing him or bumping him the whole day. He was also a lone bull. Your lone buffalo bulls do tend to be more temperamental um, with the, uh, should you say less patient and i mean that bull had no cooking clue with it the shot went and he just started coming you know so so that's a good scenario so like that was the first attempt yeah we hadn't been pushing him and he Mm -hmm. just came they're all different you never know really what you're going to get all you can kind of do is is try and try and suss out and 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 tell the bull's body language and, and stuff like that um and then I must be honest, hunting myself, after hunting my own Cape Buffalo, there's, there's nothing that matches that. It's, yeah. it's the pinnacle. But typically, um, I enjoy hunting blue villagers because they're really strong and everyone's different. When you think you've waxed that art of hunting them, you'll, uh, you'll get, you'll get uh, made humble real fast. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Kudu, Kudu's a, Kudu's an incredible animal to hunt. He's a really, he's a really tough hunt. He's a difficult hunt. If you bump him, say cheers, go look for another bull because you're not going to find him again. <laughs> and if you do, he's going to be listening for you about 250, 300 yards before you get there. And if he hears you, he's just going to carry on going. I mean, uh, I bow hunted uh, a kudu in late 2020. Um, it was an incredible area. It's about 60,000 acres. No, it's about 60,000 acres, so 18,000 hectares. I'm not great with the translation between mm-hmm. the two, so for if I'm off. But they've got four of the big five on that property. So, you know, we were we were looking for a kudu bull on foot with a bow. And I mean, you walking amongst elephants, you're walking over fresh elephant dung. I mean, you've got a you've got a guy with you with a rifle in case things go south, but you just hope that it won't. And funnily enough, the first day we went out to to look for a kudu bull to shoot with a bow, we actually got him. And, you know, the, the owner of the property's son is very, very clued up on the area and very, very clued up. He, at that stage, he was only 16. Mm-hmm. You know, so he was still a youngster. But his knowledge in the field is incredible for someone that age. Probably better than what my my knowledge was at that age. I mean, he, he was brilliant. We walked through a – they've got like a natural spring on the property. And um, what happens is that doesn't dry up during the year. So we literally walked through this little stream. I was walking in front. And I looked down to my right um, through the stream and I saw nothing. I must have taken about 10 strides up out of the bank, so going up a riverbank. 
And um, the owner's son, Gav, actually, I heard him, he called me, and I just heard him silently say, Kudipur. So I came back down exactly where I looked in that stream. There was a kudu bull standing in that stream, but he was behind some brush. Oh. So he'd obviously taken a step forward and I missed it. Mm -hmm. And he had this kudu bull probably 35 yards down in front of us, but had no idea we were there, but we had no shot opportunity. You know, so we walked up out of the bank thinking and hope, kind of knowing that he was going to come out with the direction he was going. And that, that you'll actually see on, on my, hunt, my personal hunting channel, South African Hunting Journal. It's a perfect hunt part one. Um, that is, even though I've hunted a buffalo, that still has to be my most, um, I never felt such accomplishment in a hunt as I did in that because it's such a difficult species to get on foot with a bow. Mm -hmm. So he walked out at, at, at 38 meters, had no idea we were there, but he didn't stop and he carried on walking slowly. And then we just slowly, slowly, you know, you know, walked in behind him. And then we saw where it had like dammed up just down that stream. And I'll never forget it. I looked into the water and I could see his shadow in the I could see his reflection in the water. Wow. So at that stage, he was probably about 20, 25 yards from us. No idea we were there. Mm -hmm. But now the next thing was like, how am I going to get a shot opportunity? Because when our animals have water, they're usually most alert. Mm -hmm. You know? So I just, I said, to, I saw a little pathway down to our right where we walked down a little game trail. And I slowly came out and, and, I saw him grazing on a bush and I, I said to I said to Gabe, I was like, just stay there for a sec. I ranged him at 27 meters, which is about 33 yards. He was browsing on a little bush across the water and yeah, I just, I, I went back behind the bush, drew, came out and yeah, the shot hit him probably about an inch back. So I think maybe the back of both of his lungs. We gave him about five, 10 minutes. We maybe should have given him a bit more. We walked around that little pond and we heard him bust out. Oh, no. So I thought, oh, crap, I've wounded this thing and now I'm not going to get it. And we walked to where he busted out and there was a whole lot of lung blood there and all of that. And I must have taken about 10 strides to go down onto my haunches to see him lying down about 75, 80 yards out. Uh -huh. And I said to Gav, I said, I'm going to give him another one, just a reassurance. I mean, I don't want to lose this animal. So. Mm -hmm. I went down onto my knee. I drew back. That was about 35, 40 yards and took another shot, hit him exactly where it needed to be. And he hardly reacted to it. So he was kind of done, you know, and, and, and to be able to say that I've achieved that on foot, walk and stalk and been able to get all of it on, 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 good, film. on yeah. good, good quality film is just makes it that much more special. Um, yeah, pretty incredible. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, there's there's been so many I could tell you about a lot, I mean, but those those are just some of them that really stand out. Yeah. And going going back to going back to you know like memorable hunts and trying hunts and stuff. Um, with me riding motocross, I bought a new bike uh, towards the end of 2019. I'd booked a giraffe hunt on on an area where they needed to take one off as a management a management hunt, and I think 20. 21 days before the hunt, I, I needed a full knee reconstruction on my right knee because I oh, no. screwed my leg. <laughs> they did. Oh, it was cracked femur and ACL and MCL and meniscus and all sorts of stuff. Right. So it worked out to that my this giraffe hunt was going to be 14 days post-surgery. Um, mm. And the surgeons, the doctors and the physios were saying no weight bearing on your leg whatsoever for six weeks. So, you know, it was like, well, what do we do? We can't cancel the hunt. We're going to lose it. And, you know, we paid for it. And we didn't. Right. Go. So 
I said to my dad, I said, Pops, let's do it. No one's, no one has filmed a hunt um, on crutches, a walk and stalk bow hunt on crutches. No yeah. one, I couldn't find anything, especially on a giraffe. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure guys have, I'm sure there's videos out there, but you know, just the, the short bit of sifting that I did, I couldn't really find anything. And I thought this could actually be quite cool, you know, to put out because not a lot of people are doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's, that was the most brutal trying hunt I've ever done in my life. I can, I can only imagine. I mean, it, it was unreal. And then, you get into position and, and the bull would be standing there and it's one specific bull. It's not like we can go look for another one. So it's constant cat and mouse. And I had a buddy, the, my buddy that was filming, you know, when I got into position, I had to give him, you know, my crutches. I can't just drop the crutches because they're going right, to make yeah. a noise. You're doing some kind of a trade, you know, like bow to, bow to crutch. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. And, you know, when, when it came down to that moment of truth, everything happened so fast. And I wasn't 100% comfortable at full draw, but I was like, this is as good as you're going to get, bro. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not going to get better than this. And I mean, the shot went and, you know, he ran, he took off like a rocket. And I mean, the arrow hit where it needed to. And I mean, we crossed the road probably about 100 yards down from where he was. And yeah, we saw blood in the road. And with that, we looked up to our right and the bull was stumbling and he went down with one shot. Perfect, clean, ethical kill. It was, it was great. Awesome. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it was, it was incredible. Very, very trying, very difficult, but, you know, so glad I did it. I'll never do it again. <laughs> it was just, it was never never shoot the giraffe or never? Or, which, which part don't you want to no, do no, it again? No, no, I'll never the do giraffe? it on crutches again. <laughs> do it on crutches? Yeah, no way. <laughs> That's too much. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I could only imagine. So as far as some other things that you, you kind of have learned and experienced in, in your years, is kind of looking at the hunters that you've taken out, like, has there been anything that you've witnessed or seen hunters do that you're like, man, that you wish you could educate them before they got there? And other than like the bow and the rifle stuff, just yeah. like mother, like techniques wise. Yeah. Um, practice before you come out here, practice in the forms that, and we say it to all of our hunters is practice the scenarios you're going to be shooting in when you come here while you're there and not like 14 or 21 days before the hunt, like <laughs> take a couple of months, just take some time, um, very important thing I would say to guys to practice is, is practice shooting freehand with no rest. You know, like to say fast instinctive shooting freehand, mm -hmm. even if it's only at like 50 to 60 yards. I mean, because I've, I've had situations where we've had a, we've had an incredible water bust out in front of us at 15 yards, but that, and I mean, it's, I'm not taking away from the hunter, but he, he, he didn't have the capability to shoot quickly, instinctively freehand. You know, and I mean, those big Tusker Warthogs that we get, yeah, they're only that big for one reason because they're smart, you know, mm -hmm. so, and they, they, they outsmart all the hunters. So, you know, if, if you've got a client that, that, that's really efficient and can shoot freehand, I mean, that pig came out at about 20 yards, stopped, looked at us. He stands for two seconds, three seconds, and then he busts out and you'll never find him. Don't even bother going to look for him. He's gone. You know, and, and in a, in a situation like that, if you, if you're efficient with your weapon and you can operate well, you'll get that pig. Whereas if you're not, there isn't time to put the shooting sticks out. You starting to move the shooting sticks to open them and it's already going to bust out of there. Um, so yeah, the biggest thing I would say is just practicing, practicing or shooting, sh shooting sticks, uh, practice shooting freehand. Um, it does happen. Let's say a hunter wounds an animal. Um, we don't like to shoot a, uh, a hunter's animal. I mean, it's, it's your experience. It's your hunt. We don't mm -hmm. want to do it. But at the same time, 
if your animal's going to get away and, and you don't have the time to get that shot in and we've got the time, you know, we're going to do it so that you can at least get your animal and have something to show for it versus, you know, the guys are paying a lot of money to come and hunt. You know what I mean? And you, you want something to show for what you spent on your hunting experience. So, you know, if we can help with that, you know, we will. But ordinarily, we would rather much, much rather say, you know, do the practice, put the hours in, you know, be ready when you get here for, for anything that, that could happen. So if you're efficient with your rifle freehand, you've got a wounded animal that's better done and you get there and he all of a sudden jumps up, even while he's running, if you're efficient freehand, you can put another shot in there, which will probably anchor him down again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, things I've learned is, yeah, it's a lot of patience. <laughs> it's difficult hunting, yeah. And some of the areas um, are more difficult to hunt than others. Um, weather can play a big factor. We've had it where we've been out with, you know, gloomy, cloudy, miserable weather. The one day, and you're hunting a certain species, and they are just wired. You, you, you get in, and they just they just don't let you get in. And then you get onto the same herd the next day when it's nice and sunny, you know, and, and the wind's not too bad, and it's actually okay. You know, so and it, 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 it varies, I suppose. So how often, I mean, because you're saying you're, you're say, pursuing something and you get on the herd one day and you're on the next day, but how often, I'm, I'm just guessing it probably happens often because yeah. there's a lot of different animals, but yeah. like if you're pursuing one animal and all of a sudden something else pops up, like how often does that happen? Like, oh, then we got to shift gears and like, okay, well, I can go shoot that one too. And then you just leave all it the time. all, all the, the time. time. Every hunt, every hunt. So, so let's say a hunter's got a, a bag of, Let's say, for instance, uh, a blue wildebeest, a red hartebeest, a uh, blessed buck, a spring buck, and maybe an eland. Mm-hmm. We, when we're out hunting, we're looking for all of them. Whichever one we see, we get on the tracks of the guys. So, you know, if you're driving around, what we do is we use a vehicle to drive around. Okay. And then if we locate animals or we see some good spur or something like that, then, then we'll stop the vehicle, we'll get off, and then we'll, we'll carry on on foot. Um, where were you before that? I just lost train of thought again. Forgive me for that. Um, oh, yeah, uh, changing different species and all that. Forgive me. Um, so we'll be looking for eland, but then we'll bump into a really nice blue wildebeest. You know, and, and you, you, you're you not getting in on the eland as fast as you'd want, but you see a really nice representative blue wildebeest that you don't want to pass up. Mm-hmm. And we still got four days. You know, I'll say to the guy, hey, let's hang off on the eland. Let's take this opportunity while we got it we can catch up with them later. Mm-hmm. And that's much the same with all the species we hunt here. Yeah. So when you go out, is it, is it just you and a hunter? Because like I've seen videos and things where some people have like a team of trackers with them, like all active on the hunt, like it's like a pack of six people or is it, or do you yeah. bring, bring trackers in so, after? Yeah. That all, that all depends, that all depends on the scenario. I suppose we've always got on one vehicle at any given time. We'll always have a professional hunter um a client and we'll have a tracker okay so we've got one of each and that's just typically when we hunt planes game and then you know if if i hunt to shoot something wounds it and we're battling to find it we'll radio in and we'll call for help and you know the other vehicle will come with the other professional hunter client and and tracker and they'll come and assist us otherwise if they're busy with something or they're on a stalk then what we'll do is we'll get a hold of other trackers and we'll get people to come in and help us out um, then when it comes to dangerous game, dangerous game, um, I'm going to use Buffalo as an example. We've always got, uh, typically 
three, four, five guys um, on any given time. So you'll have your professional hunter guiding the hunt. Mm -hmm. You'll have the client hunting the buffalo, and then you'll have a backup pH. Um, then we'll have two trackers. The reason we've got two trackers, we'll always have one before we shoot. We'll always have a tracker looking at square, you know, keeping on the tracks, all of that. And then you've got us looking around in the bush. And then where the second tracker comes in is after that shot goes off um, and that buffalo goes into the thick stuff. You want as many eyes out there as possible. At the same time, not too many. You can't have too many people because if things go wrong, there's too many people to worry about. Mm -hmm. So we standardize on two trackers, um, two professional answers and a client. And you'll hear of a lot of these, and I'm not saying all because you can't say all, you know, you can never control what happens in a, in a wounded buffalo situation in a charge, anything can happen. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, the majority of the time, when you hear of professional hunters or, or clients or trackers getting taken out by a wounded buffalo bull or something like that, um, there was an incident last year. I'm not sure of who they were or where exactly it was. I just heard about the grapevine that there was a there was a professional hunter out with a client they were hunting buffalo funnily enough we were actually we did a buffalo hunt that same day that that happened in part of the country um the professional hunter went out they saw the buffalo they put a bullet in obviously the bullet wasn't placed in the correct place but it was one professional hunter one tracker and one client mm. and what happened is they were on the they were on the tracks for a while to my knowledge and they came onto these 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 two bulls it was two bulls i think and the one bull looked and kind of, but they were close. They were 20 yards, apparently. And the client, I don't know if the client froze or shot, but long story short, the professional hunter and the track and the client got taken out by this buffalo. The, oh, wow. the professional hunter died later that day. And then the client was, was stuck critical in South Africa for a couple of weeks. And I mean, there you've got your tracker. Your tracker doesn't have a firearm. He doesn't have the experience to to shoot under a pressure situation like that. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You're screwed. You've got to wait until the buffalo kind of kind of gets off them and leaves them alone. Right. As the tracker is standing, there's nothing you can do. Now, going back to that, remember what I said. Now you've got one one professional hunter and one client. Mm -hmm. They both down. Right. Who's going to sort the problem out? There's no one else to sort the problem out. Mm -hmm. that's where your backup pH comes in and yeah a lot of the times when these mistakes and these accidents happen they don't have a backup pH there and I feel myself and my dad say to each other all the time we won't guide a buck lines if we don't have a backup pH so when myself and my dad guide dangerous game my dad will guide and I'll be the backup pH and vice versa mm -hmm. but there's always two guns and, and big guns as well you know We've we've used the 375 as a backup rifle before. It's a brilliant rifle for for someone to hunt buffalo with. It's the minimum legal requirement to hunt dangerous game with. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you ask me, my personal opinion, everyone's got an opinion, everyone's entitled to it. If you ask me, I wouldn't shoot a buffalo with anything under a, a 40 caliber. So say for instance, a, a 416 Rigby, a, a 458. A, a 470, 500, 416, you know, those, those really yeah, those big, big ones, yeah. hard, hard hitting calibers. And yeah, they do kick, they kick hard, but it's, you know, you're going to hunt Buffalo, you're going to hunt dangerous game. Yeah. 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 yeah you need a big gun for big game. Yeah. Like big dangerous I mean, game. A lot of, yeah. And, and with my opinion on the, on the bigger calibers, I'm not taking away from a 375. It's an incredible caliber. We've got one. Um, when we have clients that come out here, that don't bring their own rifles and they want to hunt buffalo, they use that 375. 
and it's worked and it's never failed us. The bullets have never failed. Nothing's ever gone wrong. Mm-hmm. But if, if you've got a if you've got an angry buffalo bull that wants to come out at you, he's not going to feel that three seven five as much as he's going to feel like a four sixteen or four five eight and four seventy double that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know if, if if they're coming out, I'd suggest and also again, um, bullet quality, really good bullets. Yeah, goes back to what kills it. That's that's, that's it. Yeah. That's it. You know, so. Yeah, it's um, everyone has their different methods and, and strategies on how they conduct hunts and all of that. But but that's ours. You'll you'll never see anyone from Inquazi Safaris on a buffalo hunt without a backup yet. That's just par for the course. Yeah, safety and numbers. Just because of the stories we heard that we don't want them happening to us. Oh yeah. A big thing with buffalo, like if a buffalo does charge, don't split up. Stay as close together as you can, because you'll try and single someone off. That's good tip. Just keep the gaps yeah. more shoulder to shoulder. You'll see on 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 the buffalo hunt of my dad's buffalo when it charges, when it's coming. You you if there's an inch gap between mine and my father's shoulder, you know when we're trying to shoot, it, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And we've had the same with follow ups. You know when we walk up when when someone shot a buffalo, they'll they'll walk up with us and we'll say to them, listen, be ready, stand close together. Uh, basically, shoulder shoulder with the shoulder length apart from each other, mm-hmm. and slowly move in. And you just you you educate and 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 you bring your your hunter up to speed on, you know, was his shot good? If his first shot was great, say, listen, you might get up to him. You're gonna have to put a second shot in reassurance. Or if even if it's a if it's a good shot, bad shot, um, always be ready. They say about Cape Buffalo, the dead it's the dead ones that kill you. And a death bellow is a very important thing. If you haven't heard that death bell on a buffalo, be careful. He mm. might be dead, but there's a damn good chance he's still going to be alive. So, yeah, the death bellow on a buffalo is a big thing um, to tell you that he's, that he's pretty much dying. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we've also had one or two where we haven't had a bellow. You know, so, so you get nervous you when you walk up. <laughs> so when, when you don't hear that bellow and you're walking up, just, just be prepared because anything can happen. You know, yeah. he could be dead as a doornail, but, you know, he also could jump up. Right. So, yeah. so for you in all years, what has been, like, the hardest part of being a guide and what's been the easiest part about being a guide? The hardest part about being a guide is my dad's going to laugh at this when I say it because I don't <laughs> do it as much as I should, but I still do, and that's why I don't do it because I hate it, is the admin, um, the paperwork of, of guiding, you know. Mm-hmm. The... the the down the downside part of hunting that not everyone sees you know there's there's export forms there's taxidermy forms there's nature conservation forms everything has to be logged and registered so that's not a great part of the job um trying times as well um you know when you've got a client and you strap for time and you know you're down to the wire let's say on the last day and you know it's his it's his number one you know priority on his wish list Mm-hmm. and you're pushing for 10 days to get it but you just and let's let's use kudu or elan for instance they, they're difficult species to hunt here especially on foot and you'll see on your hunt you might see 10 or 15 of each of them in bulls mm-hmm. so 10, 10 elan bulls 10 kudu bulls however they might not be at the standard of what we prepared to get to so they're not mature enough yet or his spread's not quite where it needs to be or his horn length isn't and I mean, a lot of the guys come out to South Africa, and it would be the same for me if I come and hunt in the States. Like, I'll see probably like a 120 inch wild tail, and I'll be like, 
I need to shoot that now. That that that's it. And like the guy that I'm with, or the people I'm hunting with, will say, "No, no, no, just relax. Just hold on. There's mm-hmm. bigger ones. Just, just hold There's on. bigger ones. You know, because I don't know quite the difference in you know the measurements and and the size of them, all of that. And had it with a guy last year actually. Um, funnily enough, he bow hunter. We got into the blind. His first hunter, South Africa, or Africa as a whole, and we'd been in the blind for 25 minutes. And he shot a 24 and a half inch Impala Ram, which is probably the equivalent of a 200 inch white tail. 20 minutes into his first sit, mm. you know, I, I still said to him, I said afterwards, he's like, "You think we're going to see another one of those?" He was from down south in Alabama, <laughs> so yeah, he's got the most awesome accent. He's like, "You think we're going to see another one of those?" So I was like, "Yeah, plenty, but you're not going to see another one that big." Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we didn't. And I said to him, I said, you know you don't realize it and until someone educates you on it that what you've just accomplished i mean something like that that's that's the same as me going to the states and never having hunted my first sit 20 minutes shooting a 200 inch white it's, it's it's almost unheard of right you know so that being said you've you've got extreme highs you also got extreme lows i mean you get down to the wire let's say half past five in the afternoon when it starts getting dark in winter time, we call last bullets or last arrows at half past five, which is half an hour before the sun uh, goes down, mm-hmm. just in case a follow-up or something, you know, that you can get a good black trail so that it's still light. And we've had it where down to the wire, I wants an amazing Elon Bull. It's half past five on his last hunting day, and you haven't seen what you want to get from yet. Everything you've seen has been substandard, and, you know, you, you're all demoralized, you, you're down and out, and halfway down the mountain you see this this eland that you've been looking for now at 6 p.m it's dusk the sun's just about to disappear but you throw those out the window because you want to make someone's dream come true and it's you know it's a big thing for me is is getting my my hunters wish list what they want and mm-hmm. i take it personally you know not i take it personally on myself you know if i don't get everything for what i want because you know i've, I've i'm passionate about it and i want to get it done so anyways an example is you jump off the land cruiser at six o'clock because you see this elon bull 150 yards away just through a little valley and he's standing there and he's looking at you and we get him on the sticks the safety catch goes off he's squeezing and it must be points of a second where that bull just turns and starts walking into the bush and he's gone oh no and you lose that opportunity and he goes home without having got his animal. You know what I mean? It's 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 demoralizing not only for, for the client but for us as well because mm-hmm. you know, we, we do everything we can to get them to achieve their goals. But you know, nature nature's mysterious ways of working. You know, and funnily enough, that that same area you go back a month later, another guy looking for Elon and gets it on the first afternoon. So, you know, it's at the end of the day, we like to call it it's it's all about what the bush gives you and what Lady Luck's willing to on your shoulder yeah that's a good way to put it yeah there's there's no guarantees in our sport that's it no not at all i mean it's hunting for sure yeah the anti-hunters and the activists and stuff will will lead everyone to believe that it's this this blood sport of killing and you know when you do it fair chase and ethically it's uh anything but that it's a small percentage of 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 hunters in the industry and then you know they they in all industries you have it that that we get painted with the same brush mm-hmm. that uh, give us a bad name. And they are out there and there's a lot of them all over the world. But, um, you know, the way we look at it is if, if we can strive to to set an example 
of the way it should be done. You know, that's that's what we do. Yeah. Um, cutting in again is we're part of a, a professional hunting organization here in South Africa. It's, it's uh, fairly new. It's called Custodians of Professional Hunting and Conservation in South Africa. Um, they've, they've formed a, a smaller group and, you know, we're looking a lot more at the, the essence or the, the principles of the bigger picture of what we do. Um, preserving, taking what's needed, not taking what shouldn't be taken yet. And, you know, a lot of people and a lot of associations would be like, well, yeah, that's what we do, but it's hearsay. And, you know, when you're in the industry and you know a lot of people in the industry, you hear stories and, you know, you'll, you'll hear stories of someone conducting this and you hear the story about that. And, but then six months later, you bump into someone in the industry and you're talking to them and that story comes out. You know what I mean? And it actually wasn't, you know, conducted the way that they said it was, but they, they portray this image to make them think it is. Mm-hmm. And like I say, there's, there's people out there that do that. And I'll confidently say this right now, the people that get offended by that and what I'm saying are the people that are doing it. And, you know, to me, if, if you're one of those guys striving for something bigger, um, what I just said won't offend you. And it's not to offend people, but at the end of the day, it really is what it is. And, you know, we, we, we strive we strive to hold the name high of, of ethical hunting and fair chase to to keep everything above board as well. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely high order on, on ethical. I mean, you can't you can't go wrong when you go ethical pursuit. Yeah. 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 So you know, we've 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 had people we've had people that come here and we don't we don't hunt on vehicles under any circumstances whatsoever. Sorry to say. And we've had, you know, guys also on the last day say to us where we see a species that they're looking for um oh there it is oh but we don't have time to go and stalk it you know can we shoot it off the vehicle no sorry man mm-hmm. you know and you know some people you know they they there are their guides and, and outfitters and stuff out there that would say yeah because at the same time they want their payday you know because at the end of the day it does cost money and you know we're all getting paid at the end of the day but we're not gonna get a payday just to let you shoot something off a vehicle because where's the experience and the, and the, and the, and the chase in that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's always so much more rewarding when you work hard for it. Yeah. Yeah. definitely working hard and, and earning it. There's a little bit to it for sure about leaving that vehicle and, and stalking. And it's part of the adventure. It's part of, it's part of That's the hunt. It. Yeah. It's an experience. And what we, what we press and, and, and stress to people is, um, we're not offering, we're not just offering a hunt because you are coming in to hunt, so you're going to be hunting, but we don't offer you a hunt, you know, building up to your experience. We offer you an experience mm-hmm. where you're going to be hunting and you're going to be seeing incredible things. And, you know, some guys, some guys save up their whole life to do that, that one hunt in Africa that they'll never ever do again. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to make it memorable, we need to make it something really special for them. Yeah, for sure. So it's a couple more questions here before we wrap things up. Um, sure. What advice do you have for other people who want to become a guide, a professional hunter? Patience. Patience is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I say patience is because, you know, it takes you a long time to get experience and to become really efficient in the field. And, you know, some of the most experienced guides still have very off days, you know, on getting into animals, onto animals. And at the end of the day, like I said earlier on, it's what the bush gives you. You know what I mean? So you're not guaranteed anything when you walk in the field. But yeah, patience is a big thing. You are going to get difficult clients and difficult hunters that are going to make your life 
Hell. <laughs> yeah. I've been very lucky to hardly ever have it. I must say in my about 15 years of guiding, I've only had one really difficult client. Um, so I've had good odds. And on my dad's side as well, maybe only one or two in about 20 years. So mm-hmm. we've had good odds. You've also, you know, when you've got a difficult client, it's a big thing. The biggest thing for what I can shed light on to, to give knowledge to is you need to be able to handle people in this industry, all kinds of people, all sorts of people. And you will get very difficult people, um, not um, horrible people, but just difficult people that are difficult to hunt with because, you know, we've always got our strategies of what we do. We've got plan A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. You know, sometimes even goes more. You know, so we always do what we can to pull a rabbit out the hat. And I understand their urgency to also want to get their animals, but not to say that they interfere, but they they come with ideas, but, you know, they're not educated enough because they're obviously hunting in a different part of the world to us is you've got a very valid point on that. However, if we go this way, I'm using this as an example, we can go that way, but the bush thins out up there. So we're going to have a lot less chance of getting in closer if we go through the really thick stuff. It's going to be a lot more difficult, but then the guy doesn't want to walk through the thick stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because maybe he's not able to. Maybe he's an older hunter or a younger hunter, or he's maybe got a disability where his balance isn't that great. So you can't go through the really thick stuff. You know, you've got to improvise. So at the same time, you've got to be able to improvise. That's a big thing, being able to improvise. You can plan everything as much as you want and be prepared as much as you want, but things don't always go to plan. And Often things can go off track and uh, off plan and you need to be able to improvise and it's how, how you improvise and how efficiently you can get it done and how quickly you can get it done to, to get the job done at the end of the day. And yeah, just feed off, feed off the outfitters that you're working for. All the guides, you know, in South Africa, you've got to do an apprenticeship where you've got to do a certain amount of numbers of days under an outfitter as a shadowing experience, as one could say, maybe that's one way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, apprenticeship is the correct word and all I can say is feed off that as much as you can feed off it as much as you can because I fed off my dad's skills and everything as much as I could and you know in the first year of me guiding by myself when we used to split up you forget that stuff that you feed off you forget it because in the moment you're like oh flip what happened you know and 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 that's me being a new guide back in Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't let, I can't let, you know, the outfitter down. I mean, if you're a guard working for an outfitter, you know, you've, you've got shoes to fill and you've, you've got things that you need to get done and you need to be able to operate. So feed off it as much as you can. And when it comes to hairy situations, um, for example, charges, dangerous situations in the field, keep, uh, as, as we say in South Africa, keep cop, which is, cop is Afrikaans for head. Uh, directly translated, keep your head. Don't lose your head in dangerous situations or stressful situations because that's when things go wrong. And I hope for the guys that I'm giving this advice to that they obviously never want anyone to get into a dangerous or uh, hairy situation in the field. But if you do, all I could say is that I hope you get into that those kind of situations in your apprenticeship so that you can get guidance on it because nothing can prepare you for when that happens when you've never experienced it. And it's also a type of person, I think, you know, a person that that where the wheels can come off easily and a person that can hold it together in a pressurized situation. It's also a type of person. But 
that being said, it comes with experience and practice. So, you know, all I hope is that when those things do happen, if they do pause or stall or freeze, that there's someone there to help and just remember what they did in that situation. And I've been in a few of those. And if it wasn't for that and having someone with me that's more experienced at the time, um, the outcomes could have been very different. So, yeah, it's just um, if I have to shed light on that, that's that's kind of what I'd have to say about that. And um, be prepared for long hours. Be prepared for very yes. long hours. Yes. Um, like I said earlier on, you can, you can go into a line of work where you'll get paid triple for the amount of hours you're putting in versus guiding. I mean, we have it often every trip with, with hunters where, you know, you go out the first day. I mean, the, let's even backtrack before that. Arrival day. I mean, everyone is fired up. Everyone wants to go out, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, um, take it easy the first night. You know, they'll have a couple of drinks. They'll go to bed early. Um, they'll wake up the next morning. You know, that, that first night after that full day of hunting, you know, in camp is, is, is always high spirits. You know, the guys usually 90% of the time come out on the first day with one of these species on their list. And the guys are fired up. And you know what? If, if your hunter wants to go... To bed at two o'clock in the morning um you you sit with him till two o'clock in the morning because you're there with him and you, you're sharing his experience with him you're showing him an experience you're showing him a time right and we're always up about an hour or two uh, two hours before our hunters so we like to have the hunters you know in in camp you know having coffee and you know a small breakfast at about half past five six ordinarily so we got to be up at four but now my hunter went to bed at two Right. So you're running out on two hours sleep yep. and you're not relaxing that day. You, you're hard miles. You're flat out in the field. You're driving around. You're walking. You're working hard. And then, you know, it can usually, typically, it's not like that every night. But you get the odd, the odd guys um, that, that want to party on late into the night. So you've got to be prepared for long hours. If you are getting into this for the thrills and not the spills, don't waste your time. Because you are going to be working long hours. And if you want to do this as a career and a profession, be prepared for it. Because no one else is going to do it. Someone has to do it. And that someone's you because you're the guy. Yeah. Couldn't said any better myself. So as we wrap things up here, where can people find more about you? The internet, Facebook, website, your YouTube page? What's all that stuff? So we've got uh, Inquasi Safaris. Um, that's our, our safari outfit. And then we're on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And then the same with South African Hunting Journal and my media company, DesignWorks. We've got a handle on all three of those platforms um, where you can find us. All you have to type in is the name that I told you, either Inquazi Safaris. That's spelled N-K-W-A-Z-I-S-A-F-A-R-I-S. Um, and then South African Hunting Journal. I think that's, that's easy enough to spell. And then... Yeah, we've got the website for Inquasi Safaris. That's inquasisafaris.co.za. There you'll get a breakdown of our whole operation. The about us, myself, my dad, what typically happens on your safari. Um, We've got galleries there, trophy galleries, safari destinations. And our videos for, well, I've already given it up. For our safari destinations, we make videos, we don't show pictures. So what we'll do is we'll have a breakdown video of, the camp, the lodge you'll be staying in, the area you're going to be hunting, um, drone videography, all that kind of stuff, voiceovers in there. So you get, you're get you going to get the best possible breakdown 
of the area you're going to be hunting possible when you watch those area videos of ours our hunting destinations then we've also got a we've got a specials page um they do fluctuate during the year so we take them off and put them on as they come because we get certain packages that show up we will get like three packages on quotes at this area for that and you know as they go up then packages change and all of that um but yeah, um, with regards to the safari outfit in our company, it would be in quasi-safaris.co.za. That's where you'll get the best uh, write-up on our operation and how we operate. And then if you want to watch the fun stuff, YouTube and Instagram is all there. Yeah. And Facebook. Facebook we use just as update to, to get reach and all of that. So Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, we'll definitely, uh, I'll link all that stuff in the show notes. And uh, man, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. You got a lot of cool stories for sure yeah it's been amazing thanks for having us uh, really really appreciate it